What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of The Transition, a show aimed at demystifying the entrepreneur experience for those of you looking to make the transition from the military and entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the voice of The Bunker. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, social entrepreneur, and member of The Bunker Labs branding team. I'm always fascinated by the individuals I come across in The Bunker Labs community. I know when I was first exploring entrepreneurship, I was sold the image of a tech entrepreneur who wears a hoodie, flip-flops, and launches a multi-million dollar app from his bedroom. What I wasn't sold was the image of a retired female Air Force veteran with a husband, two 15-year-old teenage twin boys, and a pandemic puppy named Phoebe. That's why I'm excited about today's guest and owner of the pandemic puppy, Valerie Rivera, founder and CEO of Take Back Work, a professional coaching and training company that helps organizations create workplace cultures where people thrive. Valerie is a Bunker Labs OG like me, who I first met back in 2018 at a Bunker Labs event in DC. Trust me when I tell y'all, Valerie is a beast. She's a retired Air Force Senior Master Sergeant and holds an MBA from the Stanford University School of Business. But don't let that intimidate y'all because she decided to pass on a career in tech and Silicon Valley to launch her own consultancy from her home in Omaha, Nebraska. Valerie is a wealth of knowledge and resources whom I've personally leveraged on multiple occasions when I was trying to figure out how to put together my first sales deck. Before we hear from Valerie, though, I'd like to acknowledge our sponsors for the transition, the MetLife Foundation, and their commitment to supporting veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs. The foundation also provides mentorship to veterans and military spouses transitioning into the workforce, as well as financial health resources. As always, my hope is that you're able to apply many of the lessons in today's episode in your own entrepreneurial journey. Welcome to the show, Valerie. How are you doing today? Good. Happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Mike. No, it's my pleasure. So why don't you go ahead and take a moment to introduce yourself to our audience? Hey, everyone. So my name is Val Rivera. Sometimes people call me Valerie, too. And I am the CEO and founder of Take Back Work, which is a workplace culture consultancy. But before that, I served in the United States Air Force for 15 years of active duty and five years of reserves. I'm also the mother of 15-year-old twin boys. I have a pandemic puppy named Phoebe, and I'm living with my husband just south of Omaha um, in Bellevue, Nebraska. What is and a, also kids and pets, those two. Like what, we're all in the same house. What is a pandemic puppy? So, you know, we've been talking about getting a puppy for a long time, but I'm always pushing back saying our lives are too hectic. How are we going to take care of this dog? Like we have a cat and she's pretty simple. And then when the pandemic hit, it just felt like the perfect time to get a dog because all four of us were here and we could train her and take care of her. And so she's about seven months old right now and keeping us really busy still. Awesome. Well, I'm real excited to have you on the show. And I know you just gave a quick plug for yourself, but I'm going to add another plug. Val holds an MBA from the Stanford University. Uh, congratulations. But the interesting thing about that, you come from the enlisted ranks. That's true. That's true. And, you know, it's it's kind of like one of those big dreams that you never imagine could become a reality. And so I'm still like pinching myself. And it's been three years since I graduated. Really? Mm-hmm. So when you say dream, that's something you always want to do is go to that school? No. In fact, like I had never even 
thought about an MBA or even going to like one of these fancy sounding schools. In fact, like my undergraduate degree, I got over the course of 10 years doing online and night school classes because I was working full time and then I had the kids and all that kind of stuff. And um, it wasn't until I started reading books and I mean, I've always read, but like reading nonfiction books about organizational behavior and all this culture stuff that I started to realize that Stanford was doing a lot of interesting um, stuff in the like in that field of research. And even the business owners that were coming out of the MBA program had a different take on business and how it could make our world better and people's lives better. And that got me really interested, got me wondering like, Hmm, could there be something for me here? But I think what really, really caught my eye in addition to that was the work that they were doing at the design school. So the Hassel Plattner Institute of Design at the Stanford um, University. Uh And so I started asking myself, how do I get there? And the MBA program seemed to be the best fit for what my skills and passions were. If you don't mind me asking, how old were you when you transitioned into Stanford? Jeez, I mean, I was 32. Maybe 33. I told somebody the wrong age and now I can't remember. But so I was an older student. I had kids and a lot of people did not have kids. Also had 15 years of active duty military experience under my belt. So kind of felt like I was on the older edge, but my classmates were awesome. And they thought it was like so badass to be a mom and at Stanford and doing all these crazy things in the military. So I felt really embraced. That's like one of the best business schools in the, in the world, it's particularly around technology and the startup space and all that kind of stuff. So kudos to you for going there, especially coming from the enlisted ranks. You know, I want to hear more stories like that. And I think our audience can appreciate it. But I have to ask you as a business owner, do you need an MBA from Stanford to start a business? No, no, you do not. In fact, I think one of the things that makes me feel a little bit nervous going into situations is that Stanford teaches you how to think so big about all these complex problems. But when it comes down to it, if you want to start an LLC, they're not teaching you how to fill out that paperwork. And by no means should they be. So you still have that. How do I do this moment? Probably more likely than you think you would. Yeah. Well, I'm going to ask you to take off your armor for our audience, because again, I'm just sitting here. I know your background. You've got an awesome company. You've got that Stanford MBA. And so by all accounts, you're like a superwoman, right? But one of the things we like to do is we like to take off our armor and uh, share something we're struggling with as a small business owner, either personally or professionally for the audience. So if you don't mind de-armoring yourself for, for the listeners. Well, I think this one should be easy because I don't typically walk around with armor. If anything, I'm the oversharer. And so one thing you might be surprised to find out is that even after getting my MBA from Stanford, I still suffer with imposter syndrome. Like even, you know, you mentioned being part of the enlisted community. I've always felt like the underdog. And when you get your MBA from Stanford, can you really be that anymore? I don't know. But at the same time, it's like, Oh my gosh, am I going to show up in the way that everybody expects me to? Did I get there by accident? And even on those days when you're really rocking it and you know you're doing a great job, there's still that little nugget of insecurity that shows up. And so um, I think that even led into my decision starting my company three years ago to just be by myself for a little bit, to really test it out and get a sense of how do I 
relate to entrepreneurship so that I could make mistakes without having to show anybody. And for better or for worse, I mean, like, I know that there's power in teaming up with other people, but I really wanted to have that space to learn and grow by myself. And I'm just now growing out of that. So you're a solopreneur? So I am, you know, I've been a solopreneur for the last three years, but I just added someone new to my team. And I have to tell you, like, this is the big, whoa, this is the big aha moment where things are really starting to get interesting. So, um, yeah, it's amazing. Her name is Lauren and she's incredible. And it's just so cool to see how fast you can go together with somebody. And, you know, sometimes I wonder, should I have done this earlier? Yes or no. But, you know, I think you get to the right place at the right time for what you need to be and where you need to be. And I wouldn't have changed anything about the way I set things up. Makes sense to me. Now, I want to ask you, though, you you've, you said you've identified that you suffer from imposter syndrome. What have you done to combat that? Gosh, you know, it comes, it like rears its head in ugly ways and places. And sometimes it surprises you. Sometimes I just have to sit back and give myself a little bit of self-compassion and care because the important thing to remember too is that, yeah, you could say there's competition all around you and how are you stacking up? But I try and remind myself that one of the reasons I got into business for myself was to live life on my own terms and to go at my own pace and to really really not try to compare myself to other people's journeys, but just try and wake up doing the best that I know how to do every day and committing to learning a little bit more and doing right by people in every interaction. And, you know, when I reflect back on that, like I'm winning my own race by my own rules. And that makes me feel pretty good. That helps just a tad. That's that's some inspiring words right there. And so for our listeners, take notes, man. Valerie's going to be dropping some some nuggets to us as we continue with this interview. Um, but first, we, before we get started, though, we got to go ahead and uh, give a shout out to Bunker Labs was what brought us here. So Bunker Labs is a national network of veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs dedicated to helping the military connected community start their own business. We're committed to seeing that every entrepreneur in the military connect community has the network tools and resources they need to start and grow their own business. 25% of transition and service members want to start a business and they need places inside their community where they can connect with the people, resources, and support they need. You can learn more by visiting www.bunkerlabs.org. Be sure to also sign up for Bunker Online, our social network for the military connected community where Bunker Lab staff helps make connections to increase your opportunities. You can register today at www.bunkeronline.org. Wow, how did you get connected with Bunker Labs? Wow, you know, I think I was I was still in California at the time. I had graduated business school or even, you know, even before that, I went to the first event out in the Bay Area. And then eventually um, the leader who was running the West asked me to come speak about workplace culture. So I got the chance to do that. And I was always enjoying being part of that community. And then finally, when we moved to Omaha, I didn't know a soul. And that's when I got to take on the uh, the Bunker Lab city leader role in Omaha and help launch that chapter, which was one of like biggest, most special moments of, you know, part of my whole entrepreneur life. Yeah. People see you in charge, you know, even though volunteers, I was a city leader and it's all of a sudden like your network just starts blowing up, you know, mm-hmm. but it's, yeah. cool, it's cool to build out an ecosystem. It really is. In fact, like, 
if you look at my Gallup's Clifton Strengths Finder assessment, one of my top five themes is woo. I love connecting people and meeting people and making new connections out of the people that I'm meeting. And so that's why I think I just love the bunker experience so much. Like these meaningful connections where they can be really hard to get otherwise. And so, yeah. I'm Especially really for people, that. you know, when we transition out, I know like speaking for me, I was the anti-business school person. <laughs> I was, I was like, it's not happening. Leave me alone. But to build, to find a, a niche around entrepreneurship and stuff, I just kind of felt like what you all were building out with Bunker Labs was like that space for people like me. Oh, absolutely. It's so, it's like inclusive, but at the same time, we're all part of the same club being military affiliated, you know? And I think there's something extra special about being the kind of people that you get thrust into all these different places all across the United States and across the globe. And you may not know anybody. And how do you get connected as fast as possible to make your dreams a reality? Because it always feels like the clock is ticking if you're connected with the military, whether it's active or reserve or whatever. Yeah, that's at least my take. Love it. All right, Val. So I want you to take us back. Take us to how you go from serving in the Air Force, having kids, you know, going to school for 10 years and then transitioning and starting your own small business. Man, so, you know, I think if any one of us reflects back you're probably always selling something. You know, maybe it wasn't your business, but for me, when I reflect back on my military career, I was always trying to sell ideas. Like I always saw these opportunities to make things better. And I started realizing that sometimes I succeeded in getting that idea across and other times I didn't. And so my work on workplace culture actually started while I was in the military, convincing my squadron commander to let me be her culture consultant which is not a real Air Force job, like not in the least. And so I got to test out what I would say is like my first little MVP of how I would operate with a client while I was still active duty. And it was really neat because like the stakes were very high. It was a real life thing. It wasn't just like some fake mock-up. I was trying to help her and the rest of our leadership team really create this environment where people could thrive at work. And we did that and we made it so that it was scalable and people would get excited about it. And that's when I realized that I could probably have more of an impact if I were orbiting this giant hairball of like the government, military and business and like kind of swooping in and helping leaders that are really passionate about creating those environments and then like coming back out again. So it seemed like the way to make the most, um, just potential and perspective and all that good stuff would be to start the company. And so that's what led me to decide to leave active duty, to go get the degree and then ultimately start the business. So you launched, did you actually register the company while you were on active duty or is it just more of kind of like in hoc? So I waited, like I didn't launch the company until I was almost done with business school. Um, and that was okay. I mean, I really wanted to soak in school. I think that's the thing too. I'd never had that in-person college university experience. And I really wanted a chance to focus on that. Not to mention that, I mean, it was also really, really hard for me. I'd never experienced that before. And being with some of the world's smartest people in all these topics, they were really giving me a run for my money. So I just wanted to focus where I could on the school and let the the business pieces unfold towards the end. Talk to us about that. That Because, I mean, Stanford is like one of the best, most known business schools in the world, arguably. 
your process for like applying and going to school there, what was that like? I mean, did you get any pushback where people saying you don't fit the criteria? I mean, what, what it's probably a mix. Man. Okay. This is, these are great questions. Cause this is where the real talk comes in. Here's what it is. You know, when you're a kid and you're growing up and you know, your parents are like, you can be anything you want to be. And then you become an adult and people rely on you or you have bonds and um, you start telling people about your big dreams. And you notice that sometimes the pushback you get is from your closest friends and relatives. And in my case, being five years from getting that retirement pension, it felt like a lot of opportunity cost for me, but especially people like my husband or my coworkers kind of asking that question, like, well, what if you don't get in and then you have to leave the Air Force and then you don't get that pension anymore? And that was a risk I was willing to take. But for other people, it was almost like I was holding up a mirror to them, even if it wasn't intentional, like, well, what are you doing? You know, and it wasn't that at all. It was just that kind of mentality of like, what does this say about where you're going and where I'm staying? And it it wasn't that at all. So I'll tell you that, like, I did have people stopping by my desks at some point, and these were all well-intentioned. Like they were trying to look out for me, but they would literally write down the numbers of money that I would be missing out on from retirement by taking this leap. And so that was... That was kind of scary for me, but ultimately it worked out in the end. How was that experience of being in, you know, was it Silicon Valley, right? Like I went to Stanford Ignite. I was like a four week program that I did, but you could feel it in the air. Like Uber drivers had a startup, you know, the guy <laughs> behind at the coffee shop had a startup. It was like everybody had had a startup. How was it for you? Like being around that environment, cultivating that experience? Man, you know, it's electric. I think you're hitting on that mic. It's like everybody feels this sense of potential and possibility. And it's the place where you can go and share big ideas. And people either want to get in with you on that or they're excited for you and cheering you on. So there's just this like feeling in the air of energy. And for me, it was really, really energizing, to be honest. Like I just felt like these are my people. This is cool. But then the longer you stay, I think you get a sense that there can be this underbelly. Like there's never anything that's quite good enough. Like I, I think I heard some jokes somewhere where like somebody was depressed because they didn't get the valuation that they wanted on their company. And it was like somewhere in the like tens of millions of dollars, but it just didn't feel good enough because somebody else had gotten more. Right. And so it does have that bubble sense to it. And, um, as much as I love it, I also really enjoy being out here in the Midwest too and seeing what that looks like and how people approach business here as well. So, so what happened after you finished business school? Do you, I mean, did you have options to go work for someone? Did you go right into your company? What were the next steps? And yeah, so I decided to go straight into my company. I did explore working for a few other firms, but one of the things that's always, always on my mind is my husband works for the Department of Defense still. And so we tend to move every three years the way a military family would as well. And so um, it didn't make a lot of sense for me to sign on somewhere only to be moving in nine months. So I wanted to have that flexibility of starting my own company and bringing it with me wherever we would go. Cause I had no sense of where we'd end up. And we just so happened to end up um, right outside of Omaha. So I want to ask you this, cause it ties into founding take back work, right? When I got first, when I first got plugged into the ecosystem, the entrepreneurial ecosystem, I was taught 
entrepreneurship from the perspective of startup culture, you know, the pitch decks and all this kind of stuff, right? But one of the things I've become, as I've become more self-aware and I've my knowledge has grown, I think one of the challenges our listeners come up against is, are you a startup or a small business, right? Two completely different approaches. And remember, I wrote a LinkedIn post and I was like, don't ask people for permission to execute your business model. And you were like, preach, preach. And so can you explain to our listeners a little bit more about the startup versus the small business approach? Right. Yeah. So the way I've seen it is that the startup approach is more like geared towards some kind of tech venture that can quickly gain market share if you get the right idea and then scale up rapidly and become this unicorn. And that involves a lot of what you're talking about, pitching to investors, trying to get like as much money as you can to really make that bet on that business and see where it goes. And um, so that's like a very different path than what mine was as a small business. In fact, being out in the Bay Area, people would ask, oh, that sounds interesting what you're doing, but how are you going to scale that? It was almost like, I have to scale it in order for it to be real in these people's eyes when they didn't realize that my goal was to start my own company, help clients and like eventually scale if I wanted to, but I didn't necessarily have to in order to be a success in my own eyes. So I, I have a hundred percent ownership of my company. I haven't had to sell any pieces of it off to investors or do anything like that. And for me, that control is really, really satisfying because I call all the shots and that's what I wanted. When you're coming from an environment like Stanford, where they're like Uber, you know, change lives, change organizations, change the world. And everything is like, go for the moon. Did you feel that you deal with any imposter syndrome a little bit when you were trying to start this niche, you know, culture focused business, as opposed to the giant tech startup? I know you said people were like, oh, is that scalable? But just the atmosphere from like your classmates, because I often wonder, do other people do niche businesses like that? Is it looked down upon from that environment? Just, you know, asking. Yeah. You know, Oh, I love it. You have some great questions. And these are like the deep kind that, you know, people really probably don't think about asking, but they're so good. So, you know, I struggle with that. Sometimes I feel like getting into Stanford was winning a platinum ticket to the universe. Right. And then I'm like, okay, how do I live up to that? How do I create the impact that is like worthy of that accomplishment? And am I doing it by having my small business? Um, and so I, I grapple with that from time to time, but I'll tell you, like I've worked with some amazing clients over the past three years, even as I'm just learning and getting my feet wet. And I've been able to make some really, really remarkable, um, things happen in places where they really, really need it. Like I'm working very much with the Air Force on this topic of psychological safety and how do we create organizations where people feel like they can take interpersonal risks on their team. And every time I start to hear those words come into the common vernacular, I'm like, yes, that is the impact that I want to have. It doesn't necessarily have to be in somebody else's eyes. It can be enough to be through my eyes. And I also have like a longer timeline. I'm not like trying to cash out on this and make like Boku millions so I can go do some other thing. Like I'm playing the long game. And I think when every, when all the pieces come together, it's, it's going to be exactly what I wanted it to be and more. When you're on the outside looking into entrepreneurship, so you don't know these things, right? You think the guy that raises a bunch of money, you're like, oh, man, he's rolling dough. Then you find out he's making like $500 a month sleeping on a couch or something. 
versus a service-based business. I mean, you're profitable like that, right? Like you get you get a client and it's it's off to the races, but we need to have more conversations about that because it goes into lifestyle and what kind of lifestyle you want to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is very much like this hustle mindset that people often have. And I think it can go like, there's good parts to it. Like, yeah, you have to make those things happen when you're that's, you know, your startup or your small business even, but at the same time, it can be really toxic. It can be dangerous for your health, for your relationships, for your like spiritual, psychological, mental, everything, all of your well beings put together. Um, I'll tell you on my side, I have a very different risk profile than my husband does. And so for me, having a service-based business where I could not have to invest a lot of money at the outset, but then be able to make money was what I needed to get his approval for this. Not that I needed his approval, but we're a partnership, right? Like we are going into this knowing that I need to make a certain amount of money to help keep the family afloat. So I already spent two years in school. How can I be as profitable as fast as possible coming out the other end to help us succeed as a family? And so I needed to hit certain milestones to make sure he felt good, right? Because like I'd asked him to take on a bunch of risk. Now I want to show him that this is this is worth it. And here's what's coming out as a result. I appreciate you sharing that because that is important. I have a girlfriend, you know, getting out of the me and the we talk is a challenge, but it's it's definitely necessary. Yeah, so true. Like I, I'm always telling entrepreneurs like that might be like the people closest to you, your, your partner, whoever it is, that's where you need to have those deep talks and like really figure out if you can set some parameters or guidelines or even just agreements about how long you'll try something, like when you'll have to pivot as a result of like resources and that sort of thing. If you can clear that out of the way in advance, you're going to avoid a lot of arguments. So I want you to tell our listeners, and I kind of know a little bit because I talked to you about it before. Talk to us about the first client. How did you go securing that first client? What was that process like? So, you know, it was a lot of trial and error. Um, With the kind of business I have, it's not like I just open up the doors and the shop is open and like the money comes flying in through Shopify or whatever it was. It's really like, oh, you're in business? Okay, cool. That's good to know. And then you might have to wait months before somebody goes, Oh, what are you doing? I think I have a need for this. And in my case, my first client was an air force client. And that's awesome. Cause it came from my air force background. I had this, you know, people already knew the work that I had done and what I was capable of doing. So that was really great, but it was a big leadership offsite. So 85 people, I drove my car down to Reno, Nevada, you know, and like conducted this one day offsite for these 85 people. And it was just such a good feeling to say, "Ah, I got my first one, right? Even as I was trying to figure out and untangle, how do you do government contracts? Like what's going on here? And after that happened, I think it was very much like, yeah, word of mouth is going to spread. I can do this. And people are seeing results. So you don't have to do a lot of selling. It's all relationship building. It, yeah, for, for kickback work, it really is. It's We don't spend money on advertisements. We do stuff like this. We do blog posts. We have um, what we call our Culture Catalyst Book Club. It's totally free. But people that are interested in these topics, they read along with us and we have discussions virtually. And and that's part of it is like finding those people that also care about culture. And maybe down the road, they'll figure out like, hey, wouldn't it be fun to work with take back work on a challenge we're facing? 
That's such a great name too. I'm surprised it wasn't taken when you when you tried to go to GoDaddy or wherever else. You know, that was like, that was so exciting, like being able to pick out the name. And I worked with my friend Rachel on this. She's this amazing brand um, expert and graphic designer. And we were just playing along with it. And when we saw that that was available, we're like, sold, get her done, son. Let's snag up that name and everything associated. So as a service-based business, all right, because we got a lot of listeners on this and they probably have an idea for their consulting company or whatever else. How did you overcome the hurdle of pricing? Like, you know, making sure, like, was it too high? Was it too low? Do you source out your pricing? I mean, how, how was that process? Yeah. Pricing is strange. First of all, this is not the kind of thing where you go to other people's websites and it's like, sure, we'll do this workshop for X amount of money. So what I found is that you want to find those people that are maybe um, in a similar space that you all kind of feel like you could be part of a cohort, right? Here's the other thing. There's a lot of solo practitioners in this world, but we like partnering up with other people too. So if you can create that relationship where you can share those pricing bits of information, that's really, really helpful. Um, the other thing is I got this piece of advice from one of my professors because she was in a similar line of work. And I said, well, how should I price myself? Like, I don't know. It's like so scary and it feels so weird. And she's like, you should pick a daily rate. Like say you, you want a daily rate or you're doing an offsite or something like that. She's like, pick a number that makes you feel like you're on the verge of a heart attack and you can barely choke it out, but you just say it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I need to take that advice. Put me in touch with her. Uh, that's the advice. Just feel like you're about to have a heart attack and go for it. Yeah. When you, it's, it's for, for those of y'all that aren't to this space yet, but when you come up with that product or service and you get that first client hook, line and sinker, you really, I can't speak to everybody, but for me, I'm like, I'll take that client for a dollar. They don't really know this. Cause I just want the name on the resume, you know, but it's also like, you gotta, you gotta also reach, you know, cause it's, you can't get profitable, you know, doing free work. Oh, it's so true. And you know, there is really this perception of quality based on what people are paying. And so sometimes I see people shooting themselves in the foot, like they underprice themselves. And then people start to wonder like, Oh, can you even be good? Because the other people that I'm seeing over here are pricing in a different way. And I think when you're starting out too, you don't have a sense of like how many expenses are incurred from like the overhead of running the business or even just the fact that you're gonna have a lot of taxes taken out too and you're paying your half and your company's half so all good stuff to keep in mind so now that you got your business up and run i mean when you, you get this first client was were all your materials and stuff ready to go i mean did you have a schedule did you know what the day would look like or were you just making the sausage just as you went Oh yeah. I'm, I'm gonna make a sausage as I go kind of gal. And part of the reason is this, like, I don't feel like there's one fit size fits all solutions for my clients. And so whenever I'm working with a client, unless it's like something like a workshop off the shelf, I really try and ask them questions that get to the root cause of what they're dealing with. And then, and only then do I put together all the pieces to share with them what I think a couple different approaches could be. And so depending on what they decide to do, then I'll either start that from scratch and build that, or I'll have some things that I've already worked on and seen go really well with other clients, but I don't just build a bunch of stuff and wait for the clients to come. 
I talk to the client, build something, and then I reuse it where I can. But that's where I see like the biggest bang for my buck and their buck. No, it makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. So what are some of the challenges you face as a business owner? Man, well, geez, there's a lot. Um, I think part of it is that bridge between when you're doing everything yourself in the beginning and getting that sense that, ooh, maybe I should hire somebody to do that work that does not feed my soul. And so the first like contract kind of person I hired was a bookkeeper. In fact, like I knew I wanted to have somebody else who was really good at that handling all those pieces. And so that took a huge load off my shoulders and then figuring out when do you want to delegate even more stuff? Um, and I think that's really wise too, because when you get to a certain place, you should be doing the work that only you are really, really well suited to do in your company and others should be handling that other stuff for you. Delegation is so hard. It's hard. For, I mean, I'm struggling with it right now because I've definitely in that solopreneur kind of space. But to grow, it's like you got to get off the hamster wheel. There's no way mm-hmm. you can grow. You got to got to be uncomfortable. Right. And, you know, like sometimes people are saying, oh, you got to work on the business, but you also have to work in the business and making space for both of those things to happen so that you're, you, even as a small business owner, you can still create efficiencies of scale and you have to create time for yourself to step back and see what those are so that you can become faster at what you're doing and better and all of that good stuff. So I think one thing that'd be real beneficial for our listeners is if there was anything you would do differently when you started your business, what would that be? Huh, man. So I struggle with this question, not because I haven't made mistakes, but because I am like the girl who needs to go to the school of the hard knocks. You can't tell me about your hard knocks and have me learn from them. Like I have to experience them myself, unfortunately. Uh, So yeah, one of the things I would say, and this comes from all my experience with different business things, is that whenever you're going to enter into an agreement or a working relationship with somebody for your business or otherwise, like really try and get a sense of whether their core values align with yours. Because it's just so... It just creates takes up so much mental space when you can't trust somebody or they're not going to do things the way you would from an integrity point of view. So if you can avoid any of those situations and scenarios, I'd say definitely have that values kind of conversation with any kind of partnership you have at the outset. I'll tell you for me, um, and I know this comes up with like partnership grills and stuff, but one thing I will tell you I appreciate about small business is how relationship focused it is and how your clients can also become like your friends. You know, it doesn't have to be so, you know, at the higher levels like corporate America, it's a little bit different. But man, some of your small business clients, they're like the best friends. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It is nice because there's not that like massive hierarchy or like, we have to do things this way according to protocol and all of that craziness. Plus I like the actuals, like you said, the actuals talk to actuals piece of like, where you call, you actually talk to the CEO, not, not like a minion, but you know, a gatekeeper yeah. or somebody super annoying. Oh yeah. True story. So what are your, talk to us about COVID. How have you adapted during COVID? How has your business adapted? Is it a challenge? Have you grown? What, what's going on? Well, this is, I think, like the million dollar question, 
because before COVID, almost all of my work was in person. So last year I was flying all over the place and it was invigorating and exciting, but also really tiring. And as 2019 was closing out, I remember saying to myself like, man, I'd really like to stay home more and spend more time with my family, not knowing what 2020 had in store for me. And so when COVID hit, everything shut down. All my contracts were either postponed or canceled. And it was this very scary moment of, and it was more than a moment. Like, let's be clear. It was like many months where I was just thinking, how can I extend my runway? Like looking at all the financial obligations I had, like student loans and mortgage and things like that. And starting to say, what can I put off? Because I don't know when my clients are going to recover and when I can recover along with them. And so that was a very, very dark, kind of dark place for a little bit, but also filled with silver linings. So before COVID, my clients were not interested in doing a lot of virtual training or offsites or anything like that. But now because of the way the system is and how we're living our lives, they're much more open to it. So I've been doing... I just did... um, a three-day leadership offsite last week. And it was phenomenal. Like I've given myself time and space to really try and figure out and unlock the power of creating engaging and interactive experiences virtually. And I think once you do that, people are hungry for more. And so I'm seeing a massive boom in business right now that gives me a lot of hope and a lot of optimism for the coming year. Awesome. Any big future projects coming up? some good stuff, man. It it feels like we're doing a ton of biz dev right now. I mean, I'm optimistic enough to bring Lauren in and say, what can we build together? And for me, this is what really gets exciting. We're combining her operation skills with like all of the stuff that I've built on the business so far. And we have big plans for 2021. That's, that's great. Well, I'm looking forward to it. So for our listeners, um, you got any good book recommendations, podcasts, articles, anything else? Oh, you know, I do. So I mentioned the Culture Catalyst Book Club. And this is where I think if you're interested in workplace culture and leadership and all of that stuff that makes the people's side of work just so much smoother, please hit me up. Um, Where's the best place to find it? I should have like a permanent link for it. But if you just send me a note at val at takebackwork.com, I'll hook you up with the book club link. It's completely free. You get this cool downloadable reading guide. And we've got a presence on LinkedIn and Facebook too, where people are discussing these things and these topics all the time. So it's 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 like being a part of a community of people around the world that care about this stuff. How many are in your book club? Just about 700. Really? Yeah. Not all of them active, you know, because like sometimes people have that like, ooh, it's January. I'm going to go to the gym and read more. But like the people that are active, they're wonderful. It's an amazing space. Sounds like you found your community. Mm -hmm. Yep. Readers are leaders, as they say. So I I like to use the term save rounds. I'm Marine. You know, you go to the rifle range and then you fire off and they say any save rounds, anything left from the chamber while you have our listeners ear. Okay, we've got some aspiring entrepreneurs. We have some that are already in a hustle. What final words of encouragement would you like to leave them with as they continue on their entrepreneurial journey? Man, oh, that's a good one. Okay, so my thing is 
having your own business is a beautiful, like roller coaster kind of thing. Just remember that when it feels like you're down, that next day could be the day when something big happens that just opens it wide up for you. So stay on the coaster. You're going to go amazing places. And even if it doesn't work out the way you anticipated, what you learn is going to propel you into something great in the future too. So I think the experience and the lessons learned through entrepreneurship will serve you well throughout life, no matter what path you decide to take. Great words for wisdom. Val, I want you to give another plug for, for our listeners. Where can they find you? Social, go ahead and drop it. Yeah. So our company's Take Back Work. You can hit us up at www.takebackwork.com. We also have the at Take Back Work on Facebook and LinkedIn. We're also on the gram too. So you can check out some of our pictures from, well, mostly our virtual offsites right now in my office at home. So <laughs> good stuff. Well, Val, I appreciate you coming on the show, especially uh, dropping words of wisdom for our, for our listeners. Listen, Val's time is worth like $10,000 a minute. So y'all should be very thankful we were able to get her on this show. She is a, a VIP high profile guest that we were able to book, but uh, super glad to have her here with us. Uh, for, um, for, I was going to say, you're making me blush over here, Mike. <laughs> for everyone else, be sure to subscribe to The Transition on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever listening service you're using today. We'd greatly appreciate if you left us a review and share this podcast with someone in your network who you feel can benefit from the information. If you want to get plugged into the Bunker Lab ecosystem, visit www.bunkerlabs.org, select the city nearest to you, sign up for the local newsletter, and attend one of our virtual networking events. It's that simple. From there, be sure to get connected at Bunker Online, where you can learn more about our different programs to support your entrepreneurial journey. We have programs that will take you from idea to invoice, incubate you, and position you to grow alongside other founders and CEOs. Register today at www.bunkeronline.org. Thanks again, Val. And thank you to everyone for tuning in. Until next time, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week.